Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The good news for film lovers is that the highlight of the year, the New Zealand International Film Festival, is going ahead. But it can't be denied it's not quite the film festival we're used to. Like other events around the world, including the hallowed Cannes Film Festival, it's going virtual and online under assault from COVID-19. Well, new festival director Martin Rabatz has been admirably upbeat about the New Look Festival and promises a parade of riches to equal previous, more traditional versions of the event. Martin, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. So before we get into the actual content of this year's festival, how exactly is it going to work? And one question I'm getting often is, do you need a really high-powered computer to get into this stuff? I don't think you need a high-powered computer. You definitely need a strong Wi-Fi connection or, or a, you know, online cable connection. You need good broadband coverage because we're streaming these films. That's something that you'll be able to get into your computer. You might be able to get it into a handheld device, a right. telephone or a laptop. But then we'd love it if you could get something like a Chromecast key and send that to your smart TV. Now, if all of those things... Uh, objects that you may not have. We really encourage you to look around, talk to your friends, talk to your younger members of your family, Mm. see if they can help you with that. But yeah, we really want people to be seeing our films, of course, in the best possible conditions. And I think home theatre is one of the best we can do if we're not in an actual theatre. So the obvious parallel is with streaming services like Netflix and Neon and things like that. But it's not quite TV on demand, is it? I mean, there are very specific screenings for most of these titles, aren't there? Yeah, we have a variety of ways we'll be putting the films out. Some will have time-locked premieres, Mm. so you need to join together as a community like we do in the cinema and watch that all at the same time. The reason we're doing that is we'll be bringing to those premieres introductions from directors Mm. and many of them with Q&As with the directors and the cast and crew afterwards online. So that way we can create a communal experience from across the country. Because that's the point point of a festival, isn't it? It's not, I'm watching it at three o'clock in the morning because I feel like it. You're trying to get as close to the event aspect of the thing as you can. You just said exactly what we've been thinking all the way along. It's like, it's not enough just to go online. We're not a VOD platform. We're, Mm. We're a film festival. And what are the elements that make a film festival important? It's the quality of the cinema, of course. We're not Netflix. We don't have a endless array of things that you scroll through and can't find anything to watch. But more importantly, it's that communal experience, the conversations that we start. And I think the conversations that we'll start with many of these films is uh, one that will begin perhaps with a Q&A with the director or the cast and crew of the film. I understand also that they've had some exciting news recently where you are actually opening up some cinemas in some cities. Absolutely. Yeah, we're thrilled about that. And... um, We have uh, cinemas across the country. Not every single cinema, of course, that we're normally in. We're still locking in the last couple. Yeah, we have Auckland, uh, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin, Mm. of course. Um, Napier, I believe. Um, Gore, I think we're talking to. 
to see if there's a cinema near you that will be playing a number of the festival films, you can find that on our website. If you've got any questions about how this is going to work, go straight to the NZIFF website. Everything is there. And also, that will not only show you what we have on offer, how you can access it, but it will also steer you towards the cinema screenings. This must have been an unbelievably tricky job for you, Martin, because, I mean, not only do you have the usual problem about putting together the top films of the year, but suddenly a lot of the overseas festivals that would feed this are out of the action. You know, there's a lot of guesswork going on, I'm guessing. We were lucky enough that we'd been able to see films in Berlin Film Festival, Rotterdam Film Festival. I was in Macau Film Festival looking at Chinese East Asian International Film Festival in India before COVID. The one big one we're really, really missing, and it hurts, is Mm. the Cannes Film Festival. Of course. We normally have 20 or more big titles from Cannes. Well, that's generally the thing about the New Zealand Film Festival is that it comes at the end of the big tickets, the, yeah. the Venice and Berlin and, and uh, as you say, Cannes and Sundance and things, and you can take the cream and put it in there. But with those out, it makes your job harder. Well, we have Berlin, we have Sundance, mm. we have films from Venice. So all of those films, those festivals that had been out and we'd had programmers in attendance or we'd been talking to the producers of those films, we have those. It's really can as the big gap this year. But don't worry, we have amazing titles from Venice and from Berlin and those other big titles. Also places like Locarno, Rotterdam, which are terrific festivals. So let's have a, have a look at what we've got. One thing that I am missing is some of sort of big names, if you like, big festival names. I mean, I don't see Cohen Brothers or Wes Anderson. I don't, you know, the usual suspects are are not there. I mean, I understand that that's because a lot of these bigger art films are having the same problem about bigger films anywhere. They won't come out until the the cinemas are open in the Northern Hemisphere. They won't necessarily be coming out, but many of them have not even premiered because we are, as I said, behind this Cannes Film Festival. And what that's meant, because Cannes was cancelled, many titles have held off their world premieres for Venice. So a title we might have got in a usual year in Cannes has been delayed until Venice, which is after our festival. But don't worry, we have films from last year, from right. those bigger festivals. I mean, I think we have a beautiful title by Corriada, the Japanese master, making a film in French, not in his I traditional Japanese. Yeah, And starring Catherine Deneuve. You know. Catherine Deneuve <laughs> and Juliette Binoche and Ethan Hawke. So there's something in there for everyone. It's a terrific story about Catherine playing a grand dame of the world of film. Not hard for her to do. Um, <laughs> and she's trying to reconnect with her younger daughter, played by Binoche, and her, Binoche's husband is Ethan Hawke. It's, it's a beautiful family drama. I think it's because Corriere brings his signature lightness of touch, his sort of Japanese humour to it, that it lifts something that I think perhaps if it had been made by a French director, Mm. could have got a little heavy and earnest. And before we get into the real big titles, I have Mm. to say that I'm really delighted that you've managed to find a film starring the late Brian Dennehy, who passed away about maybe two weeks ago. Absolutely. We're very lucky to have Driveway, which is a beautiful story. Brian plays an uh, older man who is a veteran, and he befriends a neighbouring kid from uh, Asia. I think a lot of people have rather forgotten about him, but as soon as you say Brian (laughs) Dennehy, I thought, oh, no, I remember Brian. Yeah, no, he's a wonderful actor, and we feel very proud to have one of his last titles. The big opening 
title that you have up is uh, an Australian film called The True History of the Kelly Gang. The Australian never got over the Kelly Gang. Ned Kelly. You know? <laughs> no, it's like uh, Ned Kelly again. Well, don't worry. This is Ned Kelly like you've never seen him before. It's a spectacular piece of work. It's big. It's cinematic. It is crazy as all hell at times. It's based on the Peter Carey novel, which won the Booker Prize in 2001, which tells the story of the Kelly Gang from Ned's point of view, from a little boy right through to when he goes to the gallows. But it introduces us to a never-before-seen heightened reality of what a post-colonial Australian experience might be. Well, that's very timely, it's really, It's spectacularly isn't it? cinematic. And we have Thomas and Mackenzie is in it. Oh, right. Russell Crowe is in it. Nicholas uh, Holt. Nicholas <laughs> Holt is in it, who plays the most louche, debauched colonial power kind of character I've seen in quite a long time. Let's look at some of the other, if you like, big ticket titles. There's a Japanese film called Just 6.5, which is coming straight from the war on drugs. But I don't think we've seen the Japanese um, approach to that. Where's it set? It's in Iran. Oh, okay. Japanese film about Iran. There you go. And uh, there's a couple of films set around Mexico that are rather different. Yeah. One is a, a, a film called Identifying Features, which did very well at Sundance. It won the Grand Jury Prize in the World Cinema Competition at Sundance. It? It's about the terrible migrations that are being forced upon people in the, the southern part of both continents. A woman goes in search of her son, who's a, a boy, and he's gone north to cross the border and then simply vanished. You follow her journey, searching for her son, And she meets another boy along the way who she sort of adopts. There's a sort of surrogate relationship going on there that she adopts another child who's also lost. Very tender. It's a heartbreaking story. And, you know, it opens a window on something that we know about from the news but brings it home in a really personal way. It sounds like quite a contrast with another film set in Mexico, I think, with a Chinese director. Well, it's it's not just any Chinese director. It's (laughs) Ai Weiwei, the world-renowned artist and also political dissident, as we all know, I think, that he's Mm -hmm. often in trouble with the Chinese authorities. But yeah, this time he's turned his gaze to Mexico and it's a a documentary that looks at the devastation that's wreaked upon a town when a large number of young people are disappeared by the drug conflict and the repercussions on that community. So it's not a light piece, but Ai Weiwei's gaze is something you can't look away from. What other films do we have in that sort of top end of the films that are coming up in the festival? We have the new film by Pablo Lorraine, now, um, I had to look him up and I suddenly remembered his films. He made No, which is that thing about how democracy came back to Chile thanks to the advertising <laughs> agency. That's right. He's a prolific director from Chile. Of course, he also did Jackie, the right. biopic on, on Jackie I Kennedy. That. I thought that was wonderful. Um, he recently did a movie called Neruda based on Pablo Neruda. Mm. And this time it's not a, a biopic at all. It's a portrait of an angry young woman. She's a dancer. She's an artist. And she has a plan and you follow her through this story and her behavior is really, really difficult to predict. And she's a wild rocket of a character. Mm. You know, for good time, she goes out with a flamethrower and burns cars in the middle of the city at night. This is her idea of a hobby. (laughs) But I'm not going to tell you what her goals are in this journey, but it's a great, great film from a marvelous Latin American director. Vamos a estar
women do feature a lot this year, both in front of and behind the camera. Mm. And you've actually set aside a subsection of women directors, but I couldn't help looking at the rest of the festival and there are women directors all through there as well. Tell me about the section, first of all. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk about the, the, the European, uh, it's called Europe, Women's Voices in Film. It's something that was a partnership between the Sydney Film Festival in the beginning and European Film Promotion, which is a European-wide organisation of the national film bodies of Mm. Europe. Sydney has been part of this for five years, and actually on my other job, I was on the end of setting it up. I was a member of the European Film Promotion, so Mm. it's something I know well. What it does is highlight a number of up to 10 of the best films from Europe made by women in any given year. We have seven of those films. They are so diverse, the stories, the gaze, it's intense. Sometimes it's lighthearted, sometimes it's heartbreaking, but uh, terrific female directors and films. I always look around to see if I can find any themes, and sometimes it's the environment, sometimes it's... I mean, clearly sex crimes seem to be a theme. Well, I don't know if that's a theme, but certainly two mm. rather confronting films popped up. One starring uh, Carice Van Houten, who's most recently seen in Game of Thrones, Absolutely. but I've seen her in some wonderful mm. Dutch films as well. But she does a thing called Instinct, which is about a, a woman who falls in love with a... With a violent rapist, yes. No, it's a, it's a terrific <laughs> film, Instinct, um, also directed by a woman, Helena Rhein, who mm. is a very well-known actress. She was actually in Black Book with Paul Verhoeven, with oh, Carice, oh. and she's a very well-known character in the theatre world. She and Carice developed this story, and yes, it's about a prison psychologist who, against every better judgment, is drawn to one of her clients in the prison who is a violent sexual rapist, played by Marwan Kenzari, who's most recently been seen internationally as the bad guy in the Disney Aladdin. Oh, so well. he's a really terrific actor as well. Um, I but think no easy outs, I'm guessing, in There this are film. no easy outs, and none of the makers of these difficult films want to give any easy answers because they delve into topics and areas that there is no black and white, and that's, I think, what Instinct is really all about. I'm looking at some of the New Zealand films that are coming out this year as well, and they're, um, I don't know about confronting, but certainly they're dealing with quite hard subjects in some cases. We do. I mean, two of our main titles this year from New Zealand are both documentaries. One is called Loi Mata, The Sweetest Tears, uh, by Anna Marbrook. It is a portrait of a beautiful woman who, through the course of making the film, passed away from cancer. But she was a, a Samoan navigator and walker maker. It's her st- personal story towards healing, which she also brings her family on board, returns them to their home place in, in Samoa. And her gift to the family is a sort of path that she's open towards healing from the problems that they have in their past. Um, right. Also, The Girl on the Bridge is a story of a suicide survivor who has turned that around has become one of the most powerful advocates for suicide prevention. It's a deeply moving film. In the last eight days, I have received six goodbye messages from people. I have literally had to restrain someone who was trying to take their life. I have been on the phone to someone else who was about to take their life. It has been one heck of a week. There's another interesting project, if you like, uh, which is kind of a snapshot of what's happening in film festivals now. It's a web series. Yeah. And... uh, Back in the day, by which I mean two years ago, anything involving TV or web series would have been immediately disqualified from a film festival. Not anymore. No, it would would not have been. I mean, we've seen things like Jane Campion's Top of the Lake series being Mm. premiered in Cannes, certain episodes of it. So for me, when I saw this web series as a work in progress back in December, it's such a well-made project. The qualities 
the performances, the writing, the story. You know, they have sort of micro-cinema written all over them. So I was delighted to uh, program that. And I think it's the first time we've done it. I think we do need to innovate as we move forward. And what viewers will get is they get to binge watch the web series in one go. And this is a a trans project, and they make a big deal about the fact that it's not somebody outside the community doing a story about it. It's their own story told by their own way. Yes, Rurangi is the name of the project. It has the the trans community, the queer community have full ownership of this. It's been generated from within the communities, Mm. crowdfunded within the communities. I know NZFC came on board to to support it as it was being made as well, but um, it's a very timely project, I think, Mm. as we come to understand trans realities, and this is a very intense personal drama. I have to say that um, there's quite a strong LGBTQ presence this year. I will touch on that in a moment, but I just wanted to put in a heads up to a film called Ellie and Abby and Ellie's Dead Aunt. Absolutely. Mainly because it stars the great Rachel House. I know, we're so happy to have a Rachel House film back again. (laughs) We had Bellbird last year. No, it's it's a beautiful lesbian teenage Coming of age rom com, basically. It's so it's so light and delightful and mm. surprising. And Rachel is, of course, is ever terrific. I know that uh, this year there was quite a lot of publicity about the fact that you had four co-programmers. It's not mm. quite that. They're guest curators. Guest curators. Yeah. That's right. And how has that worked? Have they each come up with a number of titles, or have they just simply fed into the conversation that you guys are having? Um, they've been very much involved in the matrix of selection. We haven't asked them to bring their particular program, but They've, they've been feeding in and we've, we've woven those films in. But what I wanted to do with our guest curators was bring in more sets of eyes because usually the festival is programmed by basically three people plus the curators who do the children's and the animation and the genre programs. The number of films that are being made around the world, it was just feeling like the, you know, it was getting a little top heavy. So we brought in a specialist who covers Latin America for us. She's also the selector for the Venice Film Festival. We have Vicky Ho, who is actually moved to New Zealand from Los Angeles, but she's taking care of Chinese East Asian films. She's also involved in the gay and lesbian film community She is absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. Vicky was uh, director of a gay and lesbian festival for Mm. some time. There's um, a guy with the most fabulous name of the festival, which is, is his name, is it Brad Running Bird? No, it's Bird Running Water. No, he's a dear, (laughs) actually, I'm glad you mentioned Bird, I was about to. He's a really dear friend of mine for many years, but he's uh, most most significantly, he's the head of the Indigenous program at Sundance Film Festival, mm-hmm. and he is keeping an eye on Indigenous films worldwide f- for us. So and do you have a, I mean, is there a strong Indigenous film uh, presence this year? We have a good Indigenous presence. Next year, we're going to have a terrific Indigenous presence, mm. because what we'll be having next year, and this is like a a little bit of a leak of the news, and you'll be hearing more about it, is a competition for the first time, feature-length competition. We already have an award given to us by an arts foundation in London, and the films in that competition in 2021 will be Indigenous stories and migrant stories, so stories of origin and exile. In the past, of course, Indigenous-themed films have been quite a regular presence. I mean, I've seen films from Mongolia and the Inuit community. Absolutely. And Saudi Arabia, and I see that uh, Wajd does... (laughs) filmmaker has come back with another film. Absolutely. The new film from Haifa Al-Mansur who did Vajda. Yes, it's called The Perfect Candidate and it portrays a young woman, a female doctor in Saudi Arabia, just fighting for agency within a male-dominated society. Um, I think everybody fell in love with her, partly because, I mean, they were just astonished that she could get away with that. We have a slightly blinkered view of Saudi Arabia, I think, in this country. Yes, I think it's it's a complicated society and you have to know how to navigate it and uh, Haifa really knows how to navigate it. 
I see that there's a rather smaller retro section than usual, you know, which is a shame. And I mean, you've got one film, uh, the Peter Weir film, tying in, I guess, with your opening film, which is the Australian film about Ned Kelly. This is The Last Wave, which I haven't seen for decades. Well, I'm not sure I've seen it since 1977 either, (laughs) to be honest, but it's looking great. We programmed that because it'll be a premiere of a restoration. Mm. The thing with retrospectives is many of those films are generally available online. So for the special nature of our festival, we bring them back on screens. We can right. play them on 35 mils sometimes. So without, without being guaranteed of those cinema yeah. cinema outings, we weren't confident that we were doing justice to the retro works by, by bringing them online. But now we've got cinemas and The Last Wave. That'll be mm. going out there. And furthermore, we do have a number of works that are made from archive material. My Name is Babu is a beautiful film telling the story of a nanny to a Dutch family in Indonesia, what was then the the Dutch East Indies, and she appears off to the side in many, many images of the home movies of that family. And those home movies of that family, where she pops in and out, have been compiled to tell her story, the untold story of Babu, the nanny. Sort of, I'm getting a Roma buzz about this. Yeah, in a way, it's not... Yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually. It Mm. it has aspects of Roma. What are the lives of the people that are Mm. not at centre stage? It's a great film. I have to say that while the retro section may be down a little bit this year because of the lack of big screens, Mm. but you do have quite a lot of celebrities, including uh, Stanley Kubrick. There's a documentary Mm -hmm. about him. Also, a documentary about the making of The Exorcist. Uh, We've got Kubrick, we've got Friedkin, both (laughs) intense filmmakers, and the Kubrick by Kubrick is based on audio interviews with him. Himself, so he tells his own story. There's great stuff. And yeah, the making of The Exorcist, who doesn't want to watch that? Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! Speaking of hidden pleasures, I guess, Imelda Marcos. I'm pleased to see that Imelda Marcos has finally got her own movie. Well, Imelda, you know, you think kind of Imelda went away and she's back, but what this film says is she never went away as far as she was I'm concerned. A, she's alive. I and, had, she's, and she's back as a power broker. That's the thing. It's not a film that just looks at Imelda as a historical figure. It looks at how she continues to wield some real power in the Philippines. It's quite something. Scary, too. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of music. I, I always look out for the music docos, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to see that uh, there's a film called Once Were Brothers about the band, and I would have thought that the band would have been well and truly covered over the years, but this apparently is something else. It's something else, and it's based on Robbie Robertson himself rather than the band. One of my colleagues was saying, well, the great thing about it is Robbie Robertson's the only one who survived. He didn't kill himself with too many drugs, so well, he's a around to, to reflect on, on their story and his story. It's, it's more personal about Robbie. In contrast to that, there's uh, a film called Dark City Beneath the Beat. This is the Baltimore club scene, which couldn't be, in a sense, less bandy than that. It's sort of... No, it's, it's the other spectrum of the music urban. world. Um, really happy to have an, an, you know black urban story right mm. now. It's full of vitality, joy, which I think is a lens we want to look at the black African-American experience alongside all of the tougher stuff, which Mm. we also, you know, touch upon as well. There's no way in the world that we can cover absolutely everything that's (laughs) coming out of this, but I'm always intrigued to find out if there are 
personal favourites of your own rather than these are the big important films? I mean, huh. are there ones that you particularly would like to champion that may be overlooked otherwise? Yeah, I mean, obviously I chose the opening and closing films, so what's they the, are uh, big favourites. Uh, what's the closing one? I uh, the closing film is the new film by Grimo Hakanason, the uh, Icelandic director who did Rams a number of years ago, which was nominated for an Oscar. This is his new film. It tells the story of, again, a farmer in Iceland. So I think it really has some resonance here. I looked at it and, and I sh- thought, this couldn't be more New Zealand. Yeah, I, I'm describing it as Aaron Brockovich in Gumboots. It has a lightness of touch, but, but you know, deals with some real issues about what it is to struggle to maintain a farm life. And it's a solo woman running a farm in the, what look like the wastes of Iceland, to be frank. Speaking of Iceland, the oddest film you've got here, in my opinion, is a film directed by a composer. It's the great Johan Johansson who Uh, made his name with these fantastic soundtracks and then died. But before he died, he made a film called The Last and First Men. Yeah. What Uh, is that? Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that because you you asked me about what are my favourites, and I think this would be among them. It's a piece of art, the kind of film you might actually see playing in a museum. It's a soundscape. It's a visual scape. It doesn't lean too heavily on narrative. It's, it's a, set two billion years in the future, isn't it, or something like that? Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> rather optimistically, he suggests there might be one man left. But it's very much in the capital A art film category. Listen patiently. We who are the last men earnestly desire to communicate with you. Another of my favourites that, again, as you said, might be overlooked is a film called If I Were Winter Itself. Um, It's made by a young Argentinian filmmaker whose previous work was called Leonis. Again, she's an artist. She shows in galleries and museums her paintings, photography. Uh, This is a movie image work, and it refers directly to uh, other works by Godard, Godard La Chinoise, for Mm. example. She directly references and appropriates and melds these together. It's a lyrical story that you just surrender to. If you surrender, she'll take you on a unique journey that you wouldn't find anywhere else. I normally rather like Argentinian films, and I'm delighted to see that there's a film written by the guy who wrote Secret in Their Eyes, which was one of my favourite films when it came out. Um, And the film is called Heroic Losers, so... No, do check that out. It's it's actually kind of fun. It's what it says. It's Heroic Losers. A (laughs) bunch of guys get together and they have a a problem to solve. It's a sort of, um, not a heist film, but it's sort of something with a wry smile that you might Call a heist film. There were two other uncategorizable oddities I saw okay. here. One was called Kala Aza, which is about a couple who stuff people's pets. No, they don't stuff them. They they incinerate them and return the ashes to the to the pet owners. <laughs> it's a Greek film. Edging From the towards... nation that brought you lobster. <laughs> Correct. It is part of that new Greek cinema. It's a portrait of a couple, actually, whose commitment to caring for the the bodies of deceased pets is quite intense and very loving. Again, it's a story that opens a window on something you've never seen before and honours every quirky, unusual character that you find with the, you know inside that window. It's a gorgeous film. It couldn't be more film festival in some respects. It's, you know, that's it. I think the thing that I'm really happy with looking at the programme we've been able to put together, it is a film festival, mm. undoubtedly. When people come to our website and they scroll through what we have available, they'll know they're not on Netflix. 
<laughs> We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> I've been talking with the director of the New Zealand International Film Festival, Martin Raybarts. The festival opens online all around the country from July the 24th to the 2nd of August. For more details of what's on and how you get to see it, check out the website nziff.co.nz. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.